Yo, check, check, check. What up? What's the matter with me? Podcast in the building, the Godcast, the Dad Podcast. Really, everything you could ask for in a podcast, and things you can't ask for in a podcast. It's the What's the Matter with Me podcast. You might not ask. You might not know to ask. It's the What's the Matter with Me podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I have a confession to make. They're running out of Hoppin' Hot Sauce original flavor on Amazon because I misread a figure on the inventory report. But we're going to send more hot sauce, so they'll have it again soon. But they're running out because of mismanagement. Because the whole thing is tangential and made up of almost a fiction. Hoppin' hot sauce, it's the best hot sauce. Hoppin' hot sauce, it's the best sauce in the world. The world, I'm telling you. Hoppinhotsauce.com, check it out. You guys, I had surgery last week. That's why I wasn't on the podcast. I am less medicated right now. It's good. The surgery didn't require, there were no stitches. It was all outpatient. I was home for dinner. It was kind of alarming. I'll tell you about it. It had body horror. Body horror like a David Cronenberg movie. The day before my surgery last week, I interviewed Gary Canoni. Gary is an artist from LA. Check this out. I'll give you a preview. I'm not done editing the whole thing, but I think I'm going to release it as a special episode of What's the Matter With Me podcast and make up for my lost week. I'll be releasing it with no warning and no nothing but this preview. Check this out. So many people experience MS as a tragedy of dashed expectation. And it's like grief and loss. And so I wanted to ask you, what's so funny, Gary? Um, I think that that has been sort of a constant in my personality. I, I don't have a rationale for that, but I, I, when I got MS and it, it sort of, when it started to take a sort of significant portion of my being and being an artist, I didn't necessarily, and I know other artists who have MS who basically it's not part of their work, but like, I can't help but make it part of my work. So I immediately gravitated towards the things I like and the things that I'm interested in. So one of the things is slapstick. So, uh, you know, an example of that is that I made these very detailed paper chairs, uh, like, you know, ergonomically scaled that were, you know, out of paper, they would, they would basically be almost weightless. The thing that's sort of great about that is that, you know, a chair sort of is almost like an invitation to sit. And, you know, if you were to sit on one of these, you would kind of just basically fall. 
So Gary is an artist from Los Angeles who has multiple sclerosis. So I wanted to interview him on the podcast and I've wanted to interview him since like 2018. And every time I'm getting ready to trigeminal neuralgia pain would like flare up and I become a zombie on pills and I didn't really want to interview him and I didn't I didn't know if I could do a good interview. I couldn't put it together, but now I've had some surgery. And David Cronenberg Body Horror. Thank you for tuning into the What's the Matter with Me podcast. My name is John. I'm 43. I'm a husband, father of two, small business owner, radio DJ podcaster, and I have multiple sclerosis. So... I made this podcast to share what I'm going through. Somehow I have in here in my notes that I I was laughing with Nami about the idea of writing in Japanese, writing hilarious poetry. Nami thought that was a hilarious idea. And that no one would would um, do that. There's no hilarious poetry. I think she's probably wrong. Come on. She's my wife. I think she's wrong. Isn't how that goes? She probably thinks I'm wrong. And here we have a functioning symbiotic relationship. With affinity, we think we're wrong, but we have an affinity for the other. So in the the Paris Review, I've been I've been having the Paris Review laying about my house. It has kind of a provocative cover that we can discuss later. But one of the things I've been reading picking it up and I read a poem or something here and there. But I read an interview with the Australian novelist Helen Garner in issue 241 of the Paris Review at the current issue, interviewed by Thessaly LaForce. She's a um, an Australian novelist. I brought this up at the the dinner party I went to, and we'll hear more about the dinner party later. I'm a weird um, dinner party guest, I think. And I started talking about the Paris Review. Someone was joking about Australian accents. And Helen Garner is an Australian Australian novelist, short story writer, screenwriter, and journalist. Her first novel, Monkey Grip, published in 1977, immediately established her on the Australian literary scene, and it's now a classic. She has a reputation for using her diaries and and incorporating them into her novels. But it was something she said in the interview. She was talking about her works in the 80s. She wrote 
they were talking about her novel, The Children's Bach, which came out in 1984. And she was talking about listening to Glenn Gould play Bach. She says, I wanted, I wanted the book to feel the way Glenn Gould plays Bach's two and three part inventions the way he flings the final notes away with force. Glenn Gould will come back to that later. But in the interview, the interviewer asked her, to me, the novel, The Children's Bach, creates an atmosphere of infatuation with that particular kind of family life. Where did that come from, do you think? And Garner replied, Some very dear friends of mine had a three-year-old son who was profoundly autistic. They didn't know what was wrong with him and there was no name for it back then. He couldn't really speak and he didn't know any words. But songs would reach him where other things wouldn't. And he had a pure little voice when he sang. It interested me to see how his parents lived around this huge duty that that had been imposed upon them. To see how an act of fate like that would scour you of all your triviality. You'd have to find something in yourself that was much deeper than what most people would need to find. And then she talks about the novel. And there is a picture of her with a kind of a shorter, not super short, but just a kind of not long hair in the 80s. And she's kind of got an 80s fitting long sleeve shirt on. It's baggy, you know, and, and she, her hair has this certain kind of, maybe there's mousse in it or something. Just a little. So I was interested in that quote because, because of how my family has a burden upon it. And I think a lot of people in the MS community might think of that. Or I don't know if my family has a burden. I'm not sure she's right. But I've read the quote and I was interested in it. And I repeated it pretty much the whole quote, except I'd left off the part at the end about finding something much deeper than most people. Because I'm not really sure about that. And then I also didn't want to seem like I was being a complaining disabled person at a dinner party, you know? But I'm also just like bringing up this kind of tragedy talking about this Australian writer. I think I qualify as a weird dinner party guest. I had just been reading it right before the dinner party and... You know, I'm concerned for my family, for how hard what I'm going through is for them. And my wife, you know, Helen Garner was a 
a single mother in Australia and they had a kind of a, a benefit, a state benefit called the single mother's benefit. And the Australian government would give you some benefit for being a single mother. And I talked about how that'd be so inconceivable here, how we'd say like, it's violating the sanctity of the family, you know, or something. I don't know what it's, it's encouraging this kind of evil behavior, you know, like whatever they would say. So, but it's kind of an interesting idea and it allowed the Helen Garner to get some space to be able to go to the library after she dropped. That's another thing she mentions later in the article. She talks about being a, a single mother in 70s Melbourne suburbs communal living. The interviewer asked, the chaotic communal lifestyle described in monkey grip doesn't seem entirely compatible with being a writer. And Garner says, there was a lot of noise in those houses, bands practicing, people rushing in and out, which is why I would work in the library after I rode my daughter to kindergarten on my bike. I lived in several households right through the 70s. There were personality clashes and bursts of envy and rage, but I loved them. So this also resonated with me because I had some of my best times living in kind of communal living situations after college. So I kind of get where she's, I grok her. She's a single mother. She managed to eke out the this great artistic production in between all that stuff. She would ride, she would work in the library after I rode my daughter to kindergarten on my bike. So she's like working in a tertiary way like Felix Gonzalez Torres often had his studio under his bed and that I always was interested in that idea that you didn't need something that you could eke it out in the margins and so Gardner is doing that I like that eke it out in the margins so tragedy scrubbing you of triviality and forcing you to dig deeper and that that makes some sense i i, I don't i i'm uncomfortable with the idea of saying like what i do is somehow deeper than somebody else and i, I don't really um to each their own on that everybody has their own path i think but yeah, how do we deal with duty, that imposition, uh, inconvenience, act of fate? How do we handle it? I love how she eked it out in the margin. So I, I talked about it and her being a single mother and the single mother's benefit at the dinner party. No one, no one had heard of it, but they were all looking at me. 
because I was talking loud because I felt like I wanted to be heard like at the dinner party. But, you know, my next note here, it says chronic illness erases people. It scrubs them, but it also erases them and ties them up. I think everyone spends time doing stuff. You just have to eke it out in the margins the way Helen Garner did. Chronic illness erases people. Thank you for listening to the What's the Matter with Me podcast. This is an anti-erasure strategy. So everyone's getting scrubbed down. But we're here. We're out here doing it. I had RF rhizotomy surgery and I finished it. Doing it. It had a David Cronenberg body horror kind of element. You know, they were like electrocuting me. At one point, the doctor is like, we just got to punch a hole before we do the injection. I'm in twilight anesthesia. It was wild. I went through it. So let me tell you what happened. So I get into the OR and I'm pretty much awake. It's kind of like dim and people have lights on their heads. I got three injections. It was so crazy. They've got me on anesthesia, but it's called twilight anesthesia. And so I'm awake. I have to answer questions that the surgeon's going to ask me. I'm pretty much uh, awake. I'm alert enough to answer questions. And I'm, I can feel my face. The first injection, they they mark me up. It's in my right cheek. And it, so it's below my right eye in my right cheek. And so I'm laying on my back and they've got my head kind of jammed still, jammed in this kind of um, jig to keep it still. And they do the first injection and it's like a regular needle. It's thin. It's um, Novocaine. So they're making my cheek numb. So a little poke, then they give me the Novocaine. And as they're withdrawing the needle, some like Novocaine runs into my eye and on down my cheek toward my nose. They're like swabbing me off. I'm kind of out of it. So I've had Novocaine. Then the surgeon starts telling, the lead surgeon starts telling the operating surgeon, right? So the lead surgeon is like in charge of everything. But then there's like, it's an educational hospital. You know, the up and comers are doing some of this stuff, I think. The head surgeon is telling the operating guy, okay, we just need to punch a hole in him. We just need to punch a hole before we do the next part. And I'm like, punch a hole. This sounds like something else. So I'm looking out of my eye, right? I saw the first needle and the doctor is like over my head coming down on me. It looked like he was going to shoot me up with the needle in my eye, but it disappeared out of frame into my cheek. I yeah, I think it was kind of cringy. I, I this was freaky. That's what I thought. I was like, this is freaky. So they get like an eighteen gauge needle and punch a hole in me, in my cheek, and I see the guy coming down on me with it, and I'm like, this is freaky. It was freaky. They did that. 
Then they put the next one in my face and then my doctor, the lead surgeon takes over and he's like, John, can you, can you feel this? And so he's like electrocuting different parts of my face. He's like, we want to get it in, in here, meaning my cheek. And he's like, not in your jaw, not up here, like meaning my forehead. So he's like electric. He's like, do you feel it? I'm like, yes, I do. And it, it doesn't, it's not sharp, but it hurts. And he's like, do you, do you feel it? All right, John, we're going to do the rhizotomy now. And the third injection is in. It's like some kind of probe. And they're probing my trigeminal nerve. They find the part that controls the upper jaw, which is what, and the cheek, which is what the guy wants. And they fry it. And I'm, I'm like, ow, 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 ow. And like, then I wake up in the, the post op. So that was freaky. That was body horror. David Cronenberg. That's what it made me think of. Do you ever see Videodrome? First, it controls your mind. Then, it destroys your body. Kind of like MS. Videodrome is a 1983 Canadian science fiction body horror film written and directed by David Cronenberg, starring James Woods, Sonia Smits, and Debbie Harry. The CEO of a small UHF television station stumbles on broadcast of snuff films, layers of deception and mind control conspiracy unfold as he uncovers the signal source and loses touch with reality in a series of increasingly bizarre hallucinations. Considered a cult classic, Videodrome has been cited as one of Cronenberg's best and a key example of body horror and science fiction horror genres. The television breathes. At one point, Betamax videotape tape cassettes were used as items to be inserted into a slit in Max's stomach. James Woods found the stomach slit uncomfortable, and after a long day of wearing it, he vented, I'm not an actor anymore, I'm just the bearer of the slit. So yeah, it was kind of like body horror, like they had some probe in my face and they were electrocuting me. Definitely the part about like, ow, ow, and then I wake up in recovery. That was weird. I couldn't feel it. It was just very dull. Like when I woke up, I needed a Tylenol. And that's it. I had two Tylenols and I'm recovered. I went through it. Now I can chew gum. Yesterday I chewed gum and I I chew uh, grape ice cubes. You know those? Ice cubes is my, my brand of gum and I like the grape flavor. I do mint, but I'll do grape ice cubes. That's my favorite gum. I went to Berkeley Bowl last weekend. I knew it was crazy, but I wanted farro in bulk. You know, farro, it's kind of like rice. It's pearled, kind of like it's it's big rice. 
It's a grain. I knew they would have it in bulk at Berkeley Bowl. But I also was interested about going to Berkeley Bowl with a wheelchair. You know me, I'm always like, can you go there with a wheelchair? I wonder. And dude, Berkeley Bowl was nuts. It was so much maneuvering. We went like 10 a.m. We went first thing in the morning when we woke up. Had breakfast, then got it together and went to Berkeley Bowl. I got the faro, but... First of all, if you're in a wheelchair, a lot of times the carts, if you're in a shopping place, the cart is like right at your head level and people just come around the corner with their cart, you know, and you're just like, dang, you have to be careful. And at Berkeley Bowl, it's crowded. It's been crowded. I've been going to Berkeley Bowl since it was where the REI became. And then it moved across the way. Now I went to Berkeley Bowl West. Berkeley Bowl has been crazy. Somebody was like, I never in my life have gotten in a fight about a parking space. But one time it almost happened at Berkeley Bowl. That's at Berkeley Organic parking lot you man i got the faro they have really good vegetables at berkeley bowl and we we go and shop at the farmer's market and it's okay berkeley bowl is is good you know they get the nice tomatoes they had very nice they had tomatoes they had basil you know they have the nice stuff there we got some some grapes. We got some grapes that taste kind of like strawberries. They're white grapes and they have a little blush on them, but and they, they just taste like strawberries. Juicy. It's really, really good. My son was like, the grape is watery at the bottom and then it's it's why is it always watery at the bottom and then you know he's understanding that as a fruit ages farther from the stem decompose first i want to make a faro salad in the instant pot I made one, man, it left, I I got one of these 10 ounce bags of farro and I made like, you know, eight ounces and some. And I so I have like this little bit of farro and I'm like, forget this. I want a big tub of farro and I want to cook farro a couple times over. Okay, that's the last time I'm going to say the name of that vegetable, I think, I hope. I went to a dinner party. I was telling you about that. I started talking about that Helen Garner autism and single motherhood and communal houses, single women's benefit. I went to a dinner party and I felt uncomfortable for reasons I do not fully understand. The whole time. Some part of it I know. I was eating the... We had barbecued bony and chicken thighs and... I don't have my buck teeth, so eating those is, I have a vibe a little bit like a dog eating from the food bowl. You shouldn't look at my mouth while I'm eating. So I felt a little uncomfortable. That reason I understand, because I'm a nasty toothless eater right now. I guess part of it is that the eating Eating has been so, I've been so uncomfortable eating for so long. And now I'm starting to be able to eat. 
but I have numbness in my mouth from that RF rhizotomy surgery. So they hooked it up, they fried my nerve, and basically it's like I'm recovering from having Novocaine. You know, like uh, I'm five hours past my Novocaine injection and it's part numb in my mouth, but it's different because it's not medicine, it's permanent. And so your brain works kind of like an EQ on a stereo, it equalizes it, and you learn to eat without chewing on your tongue and your face, and you also learn how to talk. The way my cheek moves is different. The way I talk is a little different. The the muscles are different because some of them are numb or parts of them. I can chew gum though. And I chew grape ice cubes. Do you guys have gum gum things? I like a certain kind of gum, but I'm open. I'll try other gum. I felt uncomfortable at the dinner party. I was trying to swallow my food and not choke on my food in front of everyone. So that was my key focus. And I didn't choke on my food. So that was good. I guess that's a win on its own. I did not choke on food. But it's like I can't really contribute to the conversation. And I I have that thing where I'm like, I'm not different. I just have different needs. According to Helen Garner, my life is scoured of triviality. So I know talking at dinner. I felt a little bit like I wanted to talk more. And once I started talking, I was talking about Helen Garner and no one knew what I was talking about. And I was like, I'm it's I'm out of practice. I think that's what I feel uncomfortable about. I'm just out of practice at going to dinner party. Something I never did in San Jose. I don't think even if I did do it, I did it like once or twice. But yeah, I'm out of practice. There was four families in total at this party. So it was friends. The food was good. The conversation was good. It was funny. But I felt a little out of practice. And I think that's reasonable. That makes sense. All right, what's the matter with me? Scrub you clean. What's the matter with me? If you listen to what's the matter with me, you'll be scrubbed clean. Thank you for tuning in. I'll be dropping the Gary Canoni interview standalone deal at some point soon. So stay tuned.